and morning true all get good to see everybody here and uh, I'll just give a couple of quick announcements remember that COVID restrictions are still in place so make sure that you're wearing a face mask all through the song service uh, we did the hand sanitizing coming in temperatures were taken that's great uh, quick update for what we know we've had nine cases among us uh, between the school and the church and to my knowledge five have now recovered so praise God for that. Uh, they're in the process of finishing out their quarantine. And so uh, do be in prayer for one another, but then also remember, make sure that you're washing your hands, keeping yourself at a safe distance. We will continue to postpone the baptism. The baptism was supposed to be on next week's Sunday. Uh, however, we're going to postpone that until we know that we're able to be in and be together. Uh, so, so just stand by. If you were planning on getting baptized, I'm thrilled for you uh, because that's a big part of your spiritual life. Uh, however, uh, just stand by. We'll get there, all right? Just hold off on that. We will continue, though, with the plan of I Love My Church on the 11th of April. I'm looking forward to that, and Lord willing, we'd like to break ground on that Sunday uh, for the new building. And so if you're able to be a part of that on that Sunday, I would encourage you to come along, be a part. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to having that building in the process of construction. At the end of the service, Brother Phil will be giving an update like he did last Sunday. We'll do it after the live feed is cut off. Let's have a word of prayer, and then after that, we'll, sing and we'll stand and sing together. Father, thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you for the blood of Christ on the cross at Calvary. Thank you for sending Jesus to take my place. Thank you that your wrath was placed on him so that I could have life. Thank you for your goodness upon us. I pray now as we worship you that we would do it from our hearts as we sing and as we spend time around your word, may your name be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Brax. Let's all stand.
morning, church. You can be seated. Turn with me this morning to Isaiah, 52nd chapter. We'll be reading from Isaiah 52, verse 9, through the entire 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 9. For those of you that are new to reading your Bible, Isaiah 53 is the suffering Messiah chapter of the Bible. The Old Testament is a Jewish book appropriated by us the Christians into our Bible with the New Testament. But if you were to talk to an Orthodox Jew, he will tell you he does not know who Isaiah 53 is. And for us, as God's people, having read the New Testament, there is no question that this is our Savior, Jesus. Isaiah 52, verse 9, Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel shall be your re-reward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, bear the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank the Lord for his word. Now is our time that we give back to the Lord. In-
proportion as he had given to us as the men come for the offering this morning as we worship the Lord in song let us worship the Lord with our giving our father we are so grateful that it pleased you to bruise Jesus on our behalf that the son the father and the spirit in an eternal communion made a decision to redeem us from all iniquity by the sacrifice of the son Lord bless the message today please speak to our hearts and father as we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us we pray that you'd multiply it to meet the needs of the ministry to do the work of the Lord we thank you again for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching Lord would you bless their hearts today Holy Spirit draw us closer to you we pray in Jesus name We'll spend our time together this morning in Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have your Bibles there, we'll go ahead and stay there. I'll focus on verses 4 to 10. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 10. And our topic today will be the suffering servant. Last week we saw that the arm of the Lord is revealed at the cross. Who has believed our report? The answer being almost no one. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Almost everyone. In fact, all nations shall see him. He has been crucified for our behalf. And yet the cross, while it seems shameful to normal man, criminal, common criminals die on a cross, 30,000 of them through the Roman time. Common criminals die on a cross, and it is a thing of shame. And yet for those of us who are believers, we find there's power in the cross. We see the arm of the Lord revealed. Isaiah wrote this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he is spot on all throughout chapter 52, chapter 53. In fact, many of the phrases in chapter 53 are repeated all throughout the New Testament. The apostles all saw that Isaiah chapter 53 was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we might even call Isaiah 53, we might even call it perhaps the fifth gospel. I think perhaps it might be better known as the first gospel because it was written 750 years before Matthew began to write his gospel. And as we said last week, that servant that's spoken of all throughout this chapter, that servant is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back to chapter 52 and verse 13. I'll see, I'll point one thing out that gives us a reference for next week. And then we'll come into chapter 53. Look at chapter 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. My servant, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of man. My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And that will come in next week's sermon. 
In fact, verses 10, 11, and 12 all speak of the exalting of our Lord and Savior. But before He can be exalted and before He is extolled, He will suffer greatly. And we will see that in today's passage. If you can look with me to Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, that's going to bring us up to speed. I did not bring out in verse 2 something that I'd like to bring out this morning. So let's see it. Verse number 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant... And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He comes up as a tender plant, and when we hear the word tender, we think of, oh, it is a soft thing, or perhaps we have to look after it, manicure it, take good care of it. And yet, the meaning here, he shall come up as a tender plant. That's an unwanted plant. It's one that comes up on its own. You can even see the further phraseology here as a root out of a dry ground. You remember the tree, the magnificent tree that was the lineage of David. Yes, the tree of Jesse, his father. The tree was cut down. Babylon cut down the tree of Israel's lineage, their kingly lineage. And that tree was cut down for how many 600 years now, these people of Israel, by the time of Jesus, by that time there is no more kingly lineage. We don't know who should be on the throne. And out of the cut down tree of Jesse, of David, out of that cut down tree came a new shoot. And you and I understand that when you cut down a tree, sometimes it will put... A new shoot will come off maybe off of the trunk or maybe from a root it sends up a new shoot. And sometimes that new shoot will never be as strong as the original. But friend, do grasp this thought. When the nation of Babylon cut down the tree of David, when they came in and invaded the nation of Israel, that tree was cut down and the people of Israel looked at this new shoot, Jesus, coming up. And they said, that's a tender plant. That's a root coming out of a dry ground that has no use. We don't see him as something that is comely. You see the words that he uses in verse number 2. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. We see this new shoot coming up out of a dry root. We don't want to have anything to do with him. And so when you see that you cut down a tree in the garden, you cut down the tree and it puts up a new shoot, you don't think of it well. You don't think I've manicured and taken good care of this plant and up it comes. No, you think that one's a weed and I'm going to cut it out. And they approached Jesus Christ the same way. He was not like Saul, head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He did not come onto the scene like Solomon with peace and prosperity. He came in not like an oak, but he would grow to be the one, the King of kings and Lord of lords, whom we shall all see, and He will be exalted, and He will be extolled, even though mankind has rejected Him. You can see again in verse number 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. While God was revealing His holy, powerful, mighty arm, we hid our faces from him. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, and we left last week with Jesus going before the trial. And you might remember the trial before the high priests, the chief priests. Caiaphas made the statement, it is needful that one person die instead of all of them. 
in his wickedness and his hard-hearted approach to Jesus, he was prophetically saying, and even the apostles bring that out, he was prophetically saying, yes, this one will die as a sacrifice for the all mankind. And they came into that trial with a predetermined justice, lack of justice. They will have him to be killed, and yet they did not have the legal right. They pushed it across to Pilate, who had the legal right to put a man to death. They came to Pilate. Pilate tried every which way that he could to stop them from crucifying him. His words were, Pilate's words were, I find no fault in this man. Sad to say that this Gentile Roman leader was probably the most upright out of the bunch all the way to the point where he ends up washing his hands. He sends Jesus to be scourged. And the word scourged means that they tied Jesus to a post. They removed his clothing from him. And two soldiers took turns beating him. Beating him with a whip, leather whip, with glass and shards of glass and pieces of metal embedded in it, meant to inflict the maximum amount of pain Forty lashes would be applied to his back. It was so physically draining that one man could not do it. It took two soldiers. One would beat, the other would beat. They took turns. And the flesh was pulled away from his rib cage, exposed. The book of Psalms says, they can tell my bones. In other words, you can count the bones of Jesus as the flesh was ripped away from him. He's the man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. We hid our faces, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. John chapter 19 says that they plaited a crown of thorns upon his head, wove together a crown of thorns, long thorns, placed it upon his head, pressed it in upon him. Your forehead is a free bleeding area. And I can only imagine as they pressed the crown of thorns into our Savior's head, how the blood poured down from his forehead, mingled together with his tears and his sweat. His holy, sinless eyes for you and I, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we esteemed him not. Pilate had them place a purple robe upon him, in mockery. They had taken his clothes already and they placed upon him a purple robe, the sign of a king. And then they put in his hand not a scepter but a reed. Pit pit. They put a reed in his hand and said, Oh, hail, king. The soldiers came and by the fistful grabbed his beard. A Jewish man is very proud of his beard. And for a Jewish man to shave his beard off is a thing of shame. And yet these men came and grabbed handfuls of his beard and ripped them out and spat upon his face. To be spit upon is a shame. To be spit on with open sores is disgusting. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. They gave him the cross, told him to carry it to Golgotha. He stumbled along the way, and an unknown Gentile by the name of Rufus came along to help carry the cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull, 
And there he laid out his arms. Isaiah said, as a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. This was different for those soldiers. They're not used to a man putting his arms out. They ran the nails into his hands. Archaeologists have found similar nails that were used in a crucifixion. It was a form of a spike, six inches long. You and I are familiar with a six inches nail. They would run it either into the hands or into the wrist. Either way, it's going to hit the median nerve, and it's upon piercing the median nerve, would send an excruciating pain up through the arm and into the neck. And he laid out his arm, and they pierced him. Zechariah chapter 12 tells us he was pierced for us. He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The Romans performed crucifixion and perfected crucifixion over the years. And by the time it came to Jesus' turn, both hands have been nailed into the cross, into the cross beam. And they did something that we often overlook. They would twist the torso because they wanted to prolong the death and at the same time still have control over when the moment of death would come. And they wanted to maximize pain in the midst of it. They twist the torso, and many times we see Jesus hanging on a cross in an artist's depiction, but the way that the Romans would do it is they would nail the arms first, and then they would turn the body and pull the feet up closer to the body so that when the man was on the cross, his arms would be out and his knees would be bent and he would be in a contorted position. The reason for that is so that it would constrict the lungs if you've ever played a game with your siblings in a way that you found yourself hiding in a tight position, you realize that after a little while, you need to stretch out to breathe. And that's exactly what they were doing. Twist the body and squeeze it together so that whenever our Savior wanted to have a breath of air, there's only one thing he can do. Pull against the nails and push against the nails. Our Savior is excruciating pain. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And then they lifted the cross and dropped it in the hole. The man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces as God bare his arm. Oh, he will be extolled and he will be exalted. But first he was afflicted, acquainted with grief. The one who breathed the worlds into existence was now subjecting himself to that of the creation. And at a moment's notice, he could have called the angels, and yet he decided to take the cross. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid our faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Not a single person ever lived through a crucifixion. Many would take up to five days to die. And yet, when Jesus went to the cross, he had already been drained. The scourging, the night before, great sweat drops of blood, 
And when he went to the cross, he hung there for six hours, three hours in complete darkness as God turned his back and Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was the man of sorrows. The soldiers came to hasten the death, and when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. The method by which they would hasten the death was breaking the legs, and if you break a man's legs, he can no longer push against the nail, and he's left to only pull. When they break the legs, death, they said, would come in just a few minutes, as a man would literally suffocate under his own body weight. They came to break Jesus' legs, and again, in another fulfillment of prophecy, not a bone of his was broken. Over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament point to the six hours of him on the cross. And every single one of those prophecies was fulfilled. Only God can do that. The soldiers put the spear to his side. They know exactly where to pierce, for they are machines of death. They've been trained to do this put the spear to his side and pierced into his heart. The scriptures say that water came forth first and then followed blood. Our Savior died on the cross and he endured every bit of it. He was perfectly sinless. Never one time did he ever do a single sin. He never thought or said a lie. He was perfect and he knows exactly what it is that you and I go through. We have a high priest who has been touched with every bit of our infirmities. And he never one time sinned. From the time he was a baby, he associated with the afflictions of mankind. He knew what it was like to be dirt poor, having been born in a manger. And he knew what it was like to be a refugee as a child, having to be carried away to a far country. He knew what it was like to have his friends die. John 11, he stands at the tomb of his friend and weeps, knowing that in just a few moments he's going to raise him from the dead, and still he's touched with the infirmities. The things that you and I go through, he felt them all. And he knows what it's like to have the crowds follow him. And as the crowds follow him, and they cheer him on, and oh, how mankind will take those cheers and go to pride and build himself up. And instead, while the crowd cheered Hosanna and laid the palms on the ground, he cried for their sinful condition, yet without sin. And as the Lamb of God, he hung on the cross, a ransom for many. And he took it, he took it all to the point of death. The Son of Man, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that he could taste death for you and I. And Satan would have you to believe that it is a great tragedy. But it is not a tragedy, friend. For death is being swallowed up in victory. For he will be extolled and he will be exalted. And I want us to see in our time together in Isaiah 53 this morning, I want us to see that this is God going to victory, not going to defeat. So I'm going to focus this morning on Isaiah 53, verses 4 to verse 10. I'll break it into three sections. Verses 4 to 6, verse 5 to 7. Uh, sorry, verse 4 to 6, then verse 7 to 9, and then verse number 10. So let me see verse number 4. Isaiah 53, verse number 4. I want you to see, first of all, that this was not a mistake. Look at chapter 53, verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In just these seven verses, from verse 4 to verse 10, there's 19 references to the pain of Christ. And there are three references to the fact that this was God's decision to do this. You can see it directly in verse 10. The clearest is in verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And so those sufferings, the 19 listed in these seven verses, in all of the verses surrounding, in the crucifixion that I just described to you, all of that was because it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was the Father's plan from before the creation. It was the Father's plan to send the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Please don't let Satan make you think that perhaps the cross was a mistake. There are those who would make all kinds of accusations, but friend, please don't see Jesus having gone to the cross by mistake. It was the Father's plan for Him to go there. Now look at the wording in verse number 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now watch these phrases. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So we saw Him that way. Don't think smitten of God as in we saw that it was the Father's hand bruising him. That's not the meaning here. We saw him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Here's the idea. That's a tender plant. That's a root out of a, a, a shoot that came up out of a dry root. There's no use for it. So when you're standing off on the side and you're watching the gardener clean the garden, you don't feel bad for it when he cuts out the weeds. We saw him smitten of God. We saw him afflicted. We did not esteem him. We did not lift him up. As he was at the cross, mankind did not look at that and say, oh, this is a beautiful thing. Look at the mighty arm of God. They did not think that. Satan would have us to think that perhaps it was a mistake. It was not a mistake. This was on purpose. We esteemed him not. We did not lift him up even as he was on the cross. We do the same thing here. And this is just human nature. Have you ever seen, perhaps, let's say, somebody in the market is being a pickpocket. You can, you can, you've seen this happen, right? Somebody's being a pickpocket. And then somebody catches them in the act. And all of a sudden, they yell for security. And security comes and runs and grabs the guy. And then you know what happens. That's what we do. That's normal human nature. And that's what's happening with Jesus on the cross. A common criminal to mankind. Mankind sees Jesus and reduces him to a common criminal. We did not esteem him. We see him being afflicted. We even see him being smitten of God. But we don't esteem him. We don't lift him up. You see in verse number 5, but, in other words, your thinking is wrong. Change your thinking. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we're healed. Transgressions. That's the violations of God's law. Yes, the Ten Commandments and even greater, the 613, that you and I have broken left, right, and center all throughout the week and not even realize that we've broken the 613. There's no way that you can possibly keep up with them all. 
was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. That's the twisted perversions that come about in life. And he took them all upon himself. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, see him hanging on the tree on purpose. It was not a mistake. And look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have no shepherd off on our own. We've turned everyone to his own way. And instead of God laying our iniquities on us, he laid them on Jesus. And it was no mistake. In verses 7 to 9, I see also that he was not a martyr. He was not a martyr. I'll show it to you in verses 7 to 9. Verse number 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. I've heard it said many times that Jesus came, notice the wording, Jesus came to show us how to live. That's wrong. Jesus did not come to show us how to live. He came to take the sin of the world upon himself. That's the very purpose for which he was born. He was not born in a manger so that he could show us how to live in a manger. And he did not go become a carpenter to show us how to be a carpenter. And he did not walk among men showing love towards those who hated him. He did not do that so that he could lay out a way for us to do it. No, he came so that he could take the sin of the world upon himself. He was not a martyr. You see, martyrs die for a cause. He is the cause. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He came on purpose. He was not a martyr. He had, it was decided before the foundation of the world. I think back when he was lying in the manger, and all throughout the Scriptures it gives this pointing to him on the cross. That's the reason he was there. You might remember when he was laid on the manger, the angels came and appeared to the shepherds on the hillside. You remember that? And you remember the very first thing they said, I bring you great tidings of glad joy, which shall be to all people. Not a good way to live. This one's coming from God. He is God in the flesh and He will take your sin. And then you remember Jesus in the temple at 12 years old. His mom and dad, uh, Joseph and Mary, stepdad, they'd lost Him. You remember that? How do you lose the Lord? <laughs> My goodness. They lost Him. Gone for three days. And they come back and they find Him and He's in the temple. And do you remember what happened? Mary walks into the temple and she says, Don't you understand how scared we've been for all these, all these last few days? And you remember Jesus' response? Don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? You know, his Father's business is taking the sin of the world. And then he sits with Nicodemus in John 3. And he makes this statement to Nicodemus in John 3.14. He says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And whoever believes in me will never perish, but will have everlasting life. You see, it was prophesied. It was his purpose for coming. He was not a martyr. You realize that martyrs receive a special grace. You remember Stephen? As they 
crushed him with stones. Stephen falls to his knees and he says, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. It's a special grace that comes upon martyrs. It's a Holy Spirit-inspired thing. The Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will give you the special words, the things to say. The, God will give you grace as you come into a martyrdom situation. Jesus did not have that special grace. He hung on the cross and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was the cause. He did not die for a cause. It was not a mistake. He was not a martyr. Before we go into verse 10, can I just draw your attention to verse 9? I want you to see how beautiful this prophecy is and how impossible for man to fulfill it. Verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. When a man dies and he's been a wicked man, you bury him with wicked men. You don't bury him with the rich. And for those who were crucified in the, under the Roman time, when a man would be crucified, they would leave his body on the cross for the vultures to come and eat his body and the insects to do their work on his body. And finally, when they needed the cross for someone else, they would take the body off and they would literally throw it in the rubbish heap outside of the city called Gehenna. They would take that body and throw it there. That's the place where the dead people went, the wicked dead people. No burying that dead, just leave him out there. The birds will finish him off in the dump. Notice the wording in verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked. That's where his body would have gone. And yet, the latter part of that statement, with the rich in his death. And there's Joseph of Arimathea who goes to Pilate, and it could have cost Joseph his own life for having said anything to Pilate. He goes to Pilate and says, please, can I have his body? And this rich man takes him from the cross to his own private tomb where no one had ever laid before and he puts him in the tomb of a rich man. You see, a common criminal doesn't get to be gifted an expensive tomb. 700 years before it ever happened, God said, Isaiah, I want you to write these words down and they won't make sense for a very long time. But Jesus will be numbered with the wicked and buried with the rich. You see, he is in control of all things. He's not a martyr. And it's not a mistake. And then number three, it was not a miscalculation. It was not a miscalculation. Look at verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Jesus. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days in the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Uh, next week we'll see verses 11 and 12, and it continues to talk about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. But I see a shift here in verse number 10. The first part seems oh so sad, but the latter part seems oh so great. So let me just drill down and, and point at it. This, by the way, is the third time in this passage that it talks about the father bruising the son. It, it pleased the Lord, it says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And now when we come to the positive side... I want you to see it. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, do you realize what Jesus was doing at the cross? He was becoming every offering there is in the book of Leviticus. 
The book of Leviticus, if you, were take, if you just read it on the surface, you would think, what in the world is going on here? Take a wave offering and a heave offering and take a bullock or take a lamb or take a turtle dove and all of these different types of offerings and you read down through them, but if you read them in the light of Jesus on the cross, you begin to see that Jesus is every offering and over and over the book of Leviticus points forward to Jesus going to the cross and here he makes it very clear. Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus went to the cross to be our offering. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And John the Baptist on Jesus' entry into ministry as a grown man, John's own words were, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And here on the cross, Jesus became the offering for all of our sin. Oh, what a beautiful picture. As on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats that were used. And one goat, the chief priest would lay his hands upon the head of the goat. That in itself is, an ex is quite an experience, trying to hold the head of a goat. And he would lay the, head of the uh, lay the sins of man on the head of the goat. He would repeat them. I can only imagine if maybe perhaps he had a list somewhere that he wrote down all of the different sins. And he would utter all of the sins upon that goat, and then a the Scripture calls him a fit man. One man would tie a rope to that goat and lead him off out into the wilderness outside of the city. And the picture was, take this sin away from the presence of God. And that in itself is, there is Jesus as He was taken outside of the city and hung outside of the city. You see, Jesus was the scapegoat. And then even there's the second goat. As the second goat would then be slaughtered, the blood would be shed, and then the chief priest would take that and apply it into the Holy of Holies. Before God Almighty, He would place that blood. And there's Jesus. The blood of Christ was being shed to appease the wrath of God. You see, every Old Testament sacrifice is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And He says, when, you, when thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. So just the phrase, you make His soul an offering for sin, just that phrase is pretty awesome. But then there's this special word, when. I don't know if you saw it. Look real close at verse 10. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That means that we can't put a full stop after sin. That's not a complete sentence. You need more to the sentence. Alright, I'll just take a quick grammar lesson for all of us. Quick grammar lesson. We don't say, when we get up in the morning, and we leave it there. No, we say, when we get up in the morning, we will this and that and that, right? And that's what's happening here. When you make His soul an offering for sin, something will happen. So what happens when He makes His soul an offering for sin? Let's see it in verse number 10. There's three things there. When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. So let me point out, He shall see His seed. When you make His soul an offering for sin, He will see His seed. Now, just let's drill down on what does it mean he will see his seed. I've got two daughters. And there's coming a day, by God's grace and the will of the Lord, that I will also have grandchildren. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm in no rush to get there. I'm looking forward to the day when I will sit in a 
nice chair with my grandchild in my lap, and I will tell them the stories of the good old days back in the 1990s. And you know what that is? That's me seeing my seed. That's what that is. When you see your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, if God enables that, that's you seeing your seed. Do you know who doesn't see their seed? Dead people. If someone dies, they don't get to see their seed. They don't get to... If I pass away at 43 years old, I will never get to sit on a chair with my grandchild. It's just the way life works. But notice the words here in chapter 53 and verse 10. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Normal human speaking, that doesn't make sense. Make him an offering for sin, he's going to be a dead person. And yet, he's going to get to see his seed? Well, that means that he's going to rise again from the dead. Oh, this is a promise from God. Put that one on the cross, he'll pay for the sin of mankind, and I will still raise him up, and he will see his seed. And there will come a day when you and I will be gathered together. He will bring us together from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and he will have us together. He will see his seed And then the second one, he shall prolong his days. Oh, I like that. He shall prolong his days. You know who doesn't prolong their days? Dead people. They don't prolong their days. And yet you make his offering, his soul an offering for sin. He sees his seed and he prolongs his days. He has eternal days. He will live forever. And here's a beautiful thing. If you are in Christ, you also live forever. For He's the one that went to the cross and took our sin. And when He took our sin, He took our death also. And those of us that are in Him now get to receive His life. Now does that help to add some depth to the phrase, those who believe on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. He will prolong his days. And then the last phrase that he says there in verse 10, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God will be pleased at this offering and God will bless him. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he will be exalted above every name. Friend, please know that it was not a miscalculation. Jesus didn't go to the garden And look at that cup and say, well, I think maybe perhaps this might work. No, it was on purpose. I'll take the wrath of God upon the sin of mankind. And on the back end of it, he shall prolong my days. And I will see see my seed. And he will make his goodness to prosper in my hand. You see, it was not a miscalculation. He knew exactly what he was doing. I can bring you back to verse number 5 and we'll finish with verse number 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Can we pause and let that be personal? I know Isaiah wrote this to the Jewish people. I know that. And yet it's been preserved for all of us. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So let us learn from it. He was bruised for our transgressions and our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed there was a day that Satan slithered into the garden God had created man to be at one with God and God came into the garden 
and communed with man, I can imagine as a man speaks with his friend. And one day Satan slithered into, into the garden, and you might think that perhaps Satan attacked and tricked so that he could take down man, and sure there was that, but it was much more because Satan wanted to destroy God. He always has been wanting to do that. And he went to Eve and tricked Eve. And Eve shared with Adam, and Adam sinned. And Romans 5 says, Because of Adam's one sin, death has now passed upon all men. So the only way that God could rectify that is the way that he promised in Genesis 3.15 that he would send his son, who would then take our death and give us life. And in the meanwhile, while doing it, he would crush the head of the serpent. Oh, friend, please, let us see him on the cross, not as a mistake, but as the holy, mighty arm of God being revealed as Jesus takes our sin and with his stripes we are healed. But Father, I pray this morning that we would see you high and lifted up and holy. I pray if there may be some among us this morning who have never placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps they've trusted their own good works. God, I pray that you would reveal it to our hearts this morning. Allow us to see how exceedingly sinful we are in our normal human ways. And yet you've promised that if any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creature. So Lord, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Could I ask you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning? Could I ask you to take a moment and reflect upon your own spiritual condition? Have you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is our sacrifice? Have you placed your trust in Him? Or somehow do you think that if you go through enough religious rituals, Somehow God will outweigh your sinful deeds with your goodness. Oh, Ephesians 2 is so clear about this. It is not of works that any man should boast, but instead it's by the grace of God that we are made alive. And so I might ask this morning, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never put my trust in Christ, but I sure would love to talk to somebody about that. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? I'll have somebody come and talk to you. Say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. Is there one like that this morning? I see what Jesus has done on the cross. And oh, I need to put my trust in him. Is there one like that this morning? Father, thank you for the cross. And thank you for not leaving Jesus there. Thank you that on the third day you rose him from the dead for our justification. And you've raised him up and given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I pray that you would help us this week to be ever mindful of Jesus Christ on the cross and offering for our sins. Bruised, 